Hello all and welcome to this new JLive live conversation. My name is Nicoletta Centofanti and I will be your host and moderator today. I'm the general manager at the Luxembourg Sustainable Finance Initiative, the LSFI, which is a not-for-profit public-private partnership with the mission to raise awareness and help the financial sector transition, in particular focus in Luxembourg. I'm delighted to be here today and have the opportunity to discuss on how financial reporting standards can work together to achieve sustainable food systems with two great experts. Taking part in this discussion today, we are joined by David Craig. David is co-chair of the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure, also known as TNFD. He has 30 years of experience in financial markets data and technology and sustainable markets. David is an executive fellow at London Business School Strategy Entrepreneurship Faculty and a member of the Mass ITAP, the Monetary Authority of Singapore International Advisory Panel, and also an advisory board of the Sustainable Markets Initiative, or SMI. He is also the founder of Natural Capital Technologies, providing news, information, and insights for investing in technologies, harnessing natural capital to drive sustainability. We are also joined by Jin Dong Hua. Jin Dong was appointed as vice chair at the International Sustainability Standard Board, very well known as ISSB in August 2022, and effectively started in his role on the 1st of October 2022. In his role, he has a special focus in overseeing the development and implementation of the ISSB's strategies to support and include stakeholders in emerging and developing economies, as well as small, medium-sized companies. Jin Dong brings a wealth of international finance and development expertise to the ISSB. He spent 11 years in senior leadership positions at the World Bank Group. First, as vice president and treasurer of the International Finance Corporation, the private sector arm of the group for eight years, and then three years as vice president and treasurer of the World Bank, the public sector arm of the group. Thank you both for joining us. Before we move into the discussion, I would like to hand over to you to briefly explain uh, to our audience what respectively TNFD and ISSB are, their main objectives, and what investors should be ready for. David, would you like to start? Yes, thank you very much. And it's a real pleasure to be with you today. Um, so very briefly, the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures is a market-led task force. Uh, we have about 1,100 members. Uh, we have a core design team. And, and what we're doing is we're creating a risk management um, and disclosures framework to allow financial investors to make decisions based on nature-related risks and opportunities. In order to do that, the framework applies to corporates who are addressing nature-related risks and opportunities, uh, assessing them through their uh, location footprint, um, and disclosing information that is then investor-ready for investors to look at this information about where those risks, those impacts, those dependencies or opportunities might lie, um, and to use that information to effectively redirect 
financial flows away from those things that are harming nature and causing risks in the systems um, to what we call more nature positive contributing action. So in a short, TNFD is a, a market designed framework. Uh, we're not a standard body. Uh, we're, we're market led. We're an initiative to try and, if you like, simplify this nature related financial and economic and business interface and use something that is adaptable and usable around the world for us to make investor ready decisions on financial risks from nature. Thank you very much, David. Jin Dong, would you like to introduce us the ASSB? Indeed, uh, Nicoletta. First of all, uh, I would like to thank uh, Luxembourg Sustainable Finance Initiative for this uh, opportunity uh, to share the work we are doing and also happy to be on the same panel with David. David, I salute you and uh, TNFD for the great pioneer work you are doing. So at uh, ISSB, um, as you know, we were created at uh, Glasgow COP uh, with the urgent mandate to introduce a global baseline of sustainability disclosure uh, to converge you know, the many alphabetic soup of different standards uh, to provide decision useful information for investors. So we are a sister board of the International Accounting Standard Board under the IFRS Foundation. And indeed, uh, you know, our job is really, uh, if I can summarize in four objectives, is first to develop standards for global baseline sustainability disclosure. And uh, that would then uh, hopefully meet the information needs of investors, uh, what we call decision useful information. And of course, enable preparers or companies to provide comprehensive sustainability information to global capital markets. And uh, finally, we also aim to facilitate interoperability with disclosures that are jurisdiction specific and or aim at broader uh, stakeholder groups. So this is an exciting time as we just launched our first two standards. We can go into a bit of detail later on. So in a sense, the work just began because now we are working with regulators, policymakers, you know, to see and to support uh, mandatory and voluntary adoption of our standards uh, in uh, different jurisdictions all around the world, including, as you mentioned, uh, a particular role I played in the global south. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, both of you, for being with us uh, today. So now it's really time to kick off our discussion. I would like to continue with Jin Dong. So you mentioned uh, that the, the two standards were recently launched. So, and you also mentioned that the objective, one of the first objective is really to develop standards for a global baseline of sustainability disclosures. Can you please uh, explain us a bit how these uh, two recently released uh, standards respond to this objective and, and why it is so important uh, to reach this objective? So uh, let me take a you know, take a take a longer view. You know, when I started my capital market career more than 30 years ago, the word ESG did not exist, right? So the past three decades were a time when investors gradually and increasingly realized that ESG or sustainability matters matter in financial decisions. And therefore, you know, as time progresses, many different framework standards requirements have been created all over the world. Now we call it alphabetic soup 
on one hand, they have been very uh, uh, positive in terms of enabling companies to start looking at and focus and disclose sustainability-related information. On the other hand, uh, any intended consequence is that it actually confuses both investors and preparers because you know, there are many different languages and dialects spoken in this space. So I think with the support of G20, G7, IOSCO, and the Financial Stability Board, you know, there is an urgent need to convert that alphabetic suit into a global single language of sustainability disclosure. And that's why, you know, the urgency based on investor needs uh, made it possible for IFRS Foundation to create ISSB. So indeed, I think we are barely two years old, but now we, you know, through uh, intensive work and public consultation over the past year and a half, we have now launched our first two set of standards. S1 is general requirement um, of how a company should disclose sustainability uh, information uh, that is material to investors, right? So if you think us as a new language, S1 is a grammar, the lexicon, uh, you know, the vocabulary of this language. And it, well, in addition, it also requires a company look at all material information on sustainability. S2 specifically focuses on climate. It goes into much granular detail on how a company should disclose their scope one, two, three emission. They need to describe their transition risk, their physical risk. They need to carry out scenario analysis, do resilience assessment, so on and so forth, right? So, you know, we, 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 our mission is climate first, but not climate only. So once now we have finished this first two standard that will become effective January 1st, 2024, we have now started the public consultation for the next set of uh, uh, possible standard making, including in biodiversity and nature, which we can talk about a little later on. So indeed, I think the, the purpose of our standard is really to enhance uh, the dialogue between preparers and investors and to make global capital market more accountable, more transparent, more comparable, and therefore more efficient to enable global asset allocation done in a, in a informed way. Thank you, Dong, for this uh, comprehensive overview. David, you mentioned shortly already the role of the TNFD framework. Can you please explain more in detail which are the dimensions that will be covered by the framework? Yeah, so the, um, the framework takes a comprehensive view of, of nature and biodiversity, uh, including climate. Um, when we started on this mission two years ago, we actually used all of the scientific knowledge out there and created a model using the scientific research and the models that were there that included four realms, atmosphere, freshwater, oceans, and, and land. Um, and we modeled ourselves on the TCFD. TCFD has been an incredibly successful program now, I think about seven years old, uh, just announced it's been incorporated into the ISSB, which is fantastic. And congratulations to Jing Dong and the team for for taking that step. Uh, and we've modeled ourselves on TCFD because A, companies and financial in institutions are very familiar with it. 
And B, we wanted to build upon climate, but incorporate in a holistic view of nature. So four realms of atmosphere, um, freshwater, oceans, and land, breaking down into specific biomes to allow companies and investors to really understand their business footprint and their portfolios, and exactly where are they interfacing with nature, and where do they have what we call uh, dependencies on ecosystem services, like the provision of fresh water or pollination services to create food or, or materials, where they have impacts on nature, where they're either negatively or sometimes even positively impacting those ecosystem services or the state of nature, and how those translate into both risks to the business or the investment that you're making, or in fact, opportunities as well. So we talk about DERO, in effect, dependencies, impacts, risks, and opportunities, covering four complete realms of the natural planet. Now, we built upon the TCFD. We reference, obviously, TCFD, Jingdong mentioned scope one, two, and three, um, greenhouse gas emissions equivalents. We reference towards that, but build upon that a comprehensive view of nature. Because I think what we're all discovering in the business and finance world is we have to look at nature and climate together. Much of the physical risk that is happening to our planet and to impacting businesses and investors is actually taking place on the natural system. Um, and much of the solution to um, absorbing man-made greenhouse gas emissions also comes from our from nature, from forests, from water, from uh, savannas and peat bogs, etc. So we have to think about these things together. And even though the world started on on climate first, we're quickly realizing that we ultimately want to end up with a comprehensive view of nature and climate together. So that's what the TNFD framework does. Um, a lot of our companies and people that are testing and piloting are finding that actually there's a lot of efficiency in looking at nature and climate together. There are obviously some distinct differences, but a lot of benefits of doing it um, in that way as well. So that's that's really to answer your question. The coverage is comprehensive. Uh, we look at these realms and the biomes. We try and take a, a full look of nature because looking at just one aspect of nature can be very dangerous. You could just look at, say, for example, water, but if you're not looking at pollutants or land use or other things, then you're not really achieving that full balance of understanding where all the risks might lie. Thank you very much, David. I, I guess it must be a very complex work to look at nature in a comprehensive way due to all its complexities. But we are really looking forward to the work done by the TNFD. Jin Dong. The ISSB develops sustainability standards, right? We discussed, uh, focused on the needs on financial markets and investors. But what does this mean in practice? So let me let me begin by uh, uh, where David uh, uh, led off. That is the TCFD, right? So TCFD, um, you know, the FSB just made an announcement to hand over the monitoring of TCFD compliance to ISSB. And this is a significant endorsement. And I'm also very happy that the TNFD modeled on TCFD. So TCFD, and this is the information companies uh, uh, you know, should pay attention to, that is TCFD as an architecture of the structure of disclosure has been embedded in you know, the ISSB approach to sustainability disclosure, that is, for every material information related to sustainability, you need to look at, uh, at it from a very organized fashion per TCFD. That is, you need to look at the governance, right? The board, how do you make decision? Do you have a committee, so on and so forth? 
uh, and strategy, that is how management translate the vision of the board, uh, how to deal with sustainability matters, including risk and opportunity, translating into company actions, right? That's a strategy. And of course, through that, you need to identify risks and opportunities. And of course, the final pillar of the four pillars would be risk, uh, the, the matrix and targets. For example, if a country has committed to the Paris uh, Agreement on you know, uh, 1.5 degree, uh, what is a company or preparers uh, uh, action plan in achieving peaking a net zero according to that country's commitment, right? So the ISSB standards provide this architectural approach uh, with TCFD in mind, uh, as David also alluded to. So as I mentioned, we have now finalized S1, S2. And let me add that we went through a extensive public consultation, uh, including receiving uh, a numerous consultation feedback and, and, and hosting hundreds of different consultation meetings, right? So the final result, we believe, uh, represent, you know, the, 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 the latest consensus or convergent views on what should be disclosed as sustainability matter, both on climate specifically, but also the general approach on, on climate approach. So I wanted to mention two more things that is, now we started to support jurisdictions in voluntary and mandatory adoption. We will now work on a set of guidances, including adoption roadmap that we will be working with jurisdiction. And we're also creating, you know, we already have many consultative groups, but we are creating a transition implementation group, inviting stakeholders to give us feedback that as they start to implement our standard uh, what are the questions, challenges, or feedback that they would give to us, right? For us to, you know, incorporate into developing capacity building material to facilitate easier adoption by others. So a lot of work going on, and we are creating a knowledge hub on our website. So watch our website, and that knowledge uh, uh, hub will be populated with webinars, you know, pieces, knowledges, presentations that will help a company to walk that journey uh, for adoption. Let me just Thank stop. Thank you, Jin Dog. Indeed, great. I mean, we, we need definitely to build the capacity and also share the knowledge developed by others because to speed up uh, in, 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 as fast as possible, so to say. David, we, we we understand now the work done by the SSB, the TNFD. How do you envision these frameworks working together? Well, I think um, uh, ultimately, as Jingdong mentioned, I mean, what they've done is uh, an alignment and, if you like, a removal of the alphabet soup of all of these distant standard bodies into one and what we call the global baseline. So um, uh, our uh, assumption and goal is that the destination of TNFD, rather like TCFD, is into the ISSB global baseline. So it becomes embodied in global standards, both applicable globally, and as Jingdong said, through different jurisdictions as well. 
Uh, we are working closely with the ISSB. We're ensuring that what we're creating as a market approach is consistent and aligned to their future direction of travel so that hopefully um, as they go through their next consultation of what's next um, and what to incorporate, people will sort of come back and say, well, actually, we think that the TNFD is the right approach to take and we should incorporate the methodology that they've used just in the same way as, as TCFD um, has so successfully done. So we are working hard to align to what's called this global baseline um, to make sure we use as much as possible similar language. And, and there is, as you heard from Jing Dong, we're, we're slightly ahead in terms of the, the timing, uh, which is fine because we're you know, pushing the barriers of understanding nature. And it's a complex topic, as you said, and there's lots of learning. But, but hopefully, as you've heard from Jing Dong, as they go through their consultation process and start looking at the next areas, they can then incorporate what the market wants, which is the incorporation of nature and climate together, uh, to incorporate that inside the ISSB standards um, over time. So work in progress. Um, the consultation process is happening. We're going through a major testing process. We have over 200 pilots happening around the world in the north and in the south, where a lot of the, the really most precious natural assets actually lie, um, as well as consultation to make sure that what we're creating is is not just reviewed, but also tested. Um, and it's robust and it's practical because nature can get very complicated. We, we, we've got to make sure that we create things that are reflecting that system complexity, but as practical and simple as possible so that they can be implemented by investors so they can understand where those risks lie, where those dependencies lie, um, and what are the right mitigation approaches to take them. So very much work in progress, but it's great news that our teams are working together so that we try and make this as practical and simple for the world's global financial markets as we possibly can. I love this work, practical and simple. That's, uh, that's what we all aim uh, at. Uh, and, and that's also what we try to do at the Luxembourg Sustainable Finance Initiative. We try to simplify the complexity, which, which is not as simple uh, as it seems, so to say. Jin Dong, slightly changing subject, right? Uh, there are a variety of voluntary sustainability standards available today. I, I won't mention them all, but uh, as far as I know, there are at least uh, 20 standards available. How would you advise investors that are using them now that the ISSB standards are available? Yeah, so Nicoletta, before I go there, let me compliment what, what David said. As a matter of fact, he and I, I remember we're on the same panel at COP15. That's a good sign that we're collaborating. And of course, we have been focusing on climate as our priority, but now that standard is down uh, in our consultations. David said, we definitely are referring to the great work they are doing in informing us. And, and of course, David, uh, your team working with us you know, providing feedback and comments. So, so that is um, something we are doing. And similarly, let me say that our standards were not created out of vacuum because a lot of pioneers have done work, you know, whether it's PCFD, whether it's uh, SASB, CDSB, which have all now been folded. And, and, and of course, the integrated reporting, they have now become a legacy part of our standards, right? So we did in convergent that alphabetic suit already uh, you know, made effort to, to take the best out of existing voluntary standard. And, and let me also mention GRI, which is you know, a multi-stakeholder standard uh, uh, that, that uh, we also 
you know, very, uh, uh, very much uh, collaborating with to make sure that we all serve jointly the same stakeholder, but we don't confuse, you know, the users of our report, right? This is the interoperability uh, part of the, the, the effort that, that, that we are making with all these, um, all these uh, 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 different standards. So what, what I would say is that in, uh, in achieving that, that is, there is a journey that needs to be traveled. And that journey is because investors and companies feel the pain. I can tell you, Nicoletta, I heard one chief sustainability officer of a multinational company telling me globally, they have to prepare their reports under several hundred different sustainability requirements, right? You cannot view that as opportunities. That's a big burden. And meanwhile, investors saying, how do I compare a disclosure from one country with another? Because they may have different, even if they commit to, generally speaking, working on the same framework, but they are not, they, they are very different dialects of the same language. Just like as a Chinese, you know, I cannot understand Cantonese, although when you write it down, it's all Chinese, right? So, so this is where our motivation to converge. So eventually we like to see a day that we all speak the same language fluently, we can understand each other. But let me add a quick point. That is, when you begin to speak a language, you cannot expect people to speak perfectly on day one. It's a process, right? How would our standard incentivize companies to start that journey rather than the standard is so prohibitive saying, oh my goodness, your standard is so rigid, I'm afraid I'll fail on day one anyway. So this is why our standard has built in recognition relief to make sure you can start that journey with confidence. And over time, we will all converge and, and you know, uh, that people don't feel the need to uh, speak many different dialects and, and they can drop all the other legacy standards and converge on the single one. So that's the journey we're traveling. So uh, no uh, need for perfection on day one. As a matter of fact, perfection is the enemy of the good, right? But one day, hopefully, we'll all get to that, that end point. Uh, but uh, we need to start that journey somewhere. And this is where our standard high-quality global baseline with built-in flexibility to accommodate different stage of readiness by big company, smaller company, or from an advanced country to developing country, so on and so forth. So, so that's a message I like to send. Thank you, Jindong. Indeed, we are in a journey and we need to converge somehow to this unique language. I have a similar question to you, David. Um, how should investors use the TNFD if they mm -hmm. are adhered to other standards? How, how would they fit together? Well, I think Ching Dong said something. He, he took the phrase from me, which is, let's not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. We have to start somewhere uh, and we have to get going. What, what we've done is align to a very important agreement that was made in Montreal in part of the Kuming Montreal Agreement, the Global Biodiversity Framework, uh, which has said by 2030, we will halt the uh, destruction of the natural system and actually start um, uh, a move to a more nature positive 
uh, world. Now, we've only got seven harvests left before 2030. Seven harvests are left. So we cannot be perfect. We've got to start somewhere. And the one thing that GBF did was it almost highlighted and prioritized the things that we can start the first. It talked about stopping land use change and water use change. Well, one of our most important metrics we therefore have in the TNFD is the amount of land use change that's happening in your business system or your portfolio. We then look at resource use, we then look at pollution, and then we point to climate. So we've tried to keep this simple, um, aligning to that global biodiversity framework and that agreement that will ultimately get us to a nature positive world, um, and used a lot of the existing standards and information that was already out there. Jingdong mentioned SASB, CDP, PRI. There are certain aspects of nature that have been measured for many years. We reuse that measurement techniques. We don't reinvent the wheel. So that's how we've done that. We've actually taken the very complex world of natural ecosystems and boiled it down really to 14 metrics. Um, that is under final review at the moment. We've closed our feedback. We are launching on the 18th of September. We think that we'll stay around the same number to try and make sure that this is practical um, and to reflect the standards that are already out there, but not create a whole lot more. And I think there's a really important philosophy here, which is um, disclosures are means to an end. What's really important is risk management. Understanding my interface and my dependencies and my risks on nature is the most important thing. Disclosures give comparability and accountability, but we shouldn't overestimate what they do. Sometimes these regimes create thousands of disclosures thinking that if you disclose everything, everything will be transparent and perfect information will be there. It's just not true. It doesn't work like that. What's really important and what our members take, say to us is that when we're a financial investor, we want to understand that the companies, the funds, or the investments that we're making, they have a good understanding of the nature risks and climate risks, and they're mitigating them. That's what the disclosures are designed to help do and not to try and create a massive amount of information that frankly no one will read and will not be intelligible. So it's being practical, get going, simplifying it down, using the scientific and existing standards, but emphasizing that we don't have a lot of time and the faster that we can actually get a common language, as Jingdong said, we've got to get people to learn this language. It's not going to be perfect from the start, um, the better. Fully agree. I couldn't agree more. I would like to to continue the discussion on, on speaking a bit about risks. So you both have mentioned like uh, these standards help flagging financial risks, but we also have mentioned that robust standards for sustainability disclosure could also could also help highlight opportunities for investors. Would you agree? Uh, how might this look? Jindong, would you like to start? Yeah, definitely. As somebody who has worked in capital markets, including being the head of the pension for World Bank Group, uh, an investor's ability to discern information, to identify both risk and opportunity, it is critical. And indeed, so uh, one message I wanted to, to, to send out through this um, uh, through this uh, uh, session, uh, Nicoletta, is that the ISSB standards are not a tick-the-box kind of okay. I've done it, and therefore, you know, I can, I can, I can. It is really helping a company to look at its business model, its relationship with its society, economy, natural environment in a holistic way 
to identify sustainability-related opportunity, risk management strategy, action plan, so on and so forth, right? So this more comprehensive uh, uh, view of a company's, uh, uh, you know, uh, company's financial future through a sustainability lens, hopefully will enhance a company's ability to make correct business decision. And that disclosure will then give investors a richer set of information for them to discern both risk and opportunity, right? So take one uh, uh, um, factor, for example, transition risk. That is how a company would cope, not only cope, but proactively manage the transition risk uh, uh, in their, you know, to comply with their country's uh, uh, Paris-aligned uh, commitment or other commitment. You know, uh, investors will read through that say, oh, this company has a more proactive plan and this plan makes sense. This will help this company to gain competitive edge. And therefore, you know, maybe there will be alpha generation opportunities, so on and so forth, right? So, so indeed, I think, I would say companies uh, should look at the ISSB standard as enabling set of standards for them to, to, to analyze, to manage their risk and opportunity uh, 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 much better. So, and to give investors a, a set of information that will give companies who, who manage those uh, risk and opportunities better a, a competitive edge. But that's really the bottom line, right? Making, uh, you know, making decision useful information, better information enables better uh, decision by investors. So that's a whole concept of, uh, of our standards. Thank you very much, Dong. David, would you like to add anything? Well, I think um, I completely agree with Dong. I mean, you have to look at risks and opportunities. We, we should think about this too, about building resilience. Um, at, at a time where you know many of the climate changes that were predicted are happening and happening faster than we thought, uh, and to more extremes than we thought, um, building resilience into business models is becoming incredibly important. Um, and as we see nature degradation and impact also happening uh, very quickly, that resilience is important. But on the opportunity side, because companies and investors will have to transition away from things that are degrading the natural environment. Um, they will look for areas such as you know, plant-based meats, uh, plant-based packaging, uh, alternative farming, regenerative farming, alternative chemicals, water reduction. There is a whole stack of new technologies, methods, and approaches, which will become opportunities to invest in as well. So I think people that we talk to in our membership are very focused on resilience, but they're also looking at the opportunity side as, as well as specific areas where they can invest in transitions. It's like renewable energy 10 years ago. Look at where solar and wind is now. Those are the kind of opportunities that we're going to see in nature. But I think we're actually going to see them on a larger scale even than we've seen in the energy market. I really hope that uh, the renewable energy case for nature will, will be coming soon. Uh, now, last week question uh, on a topic which is very close uh, to, to me and to GLF, uh, David and Jindog. How can your standards work together to achieve a sustainable food system? Who would like to start? Maybe Jindong? 
You know, Nicoletta, I actually led uh, 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 the first uh, sustainable bond at the World Bank addressing the, the, the urgent need to to reduce food loss and waste. And, and through that, I learned that food loss and waste is actually the third largest source of carbon emission after energy and transport, and it consumes a fifth of fresh water. So this is an issue that in my previous position, I'm quite familiar with. And of course, it ties into food security and everything. On the other hand, as a standard maker, what I wanted to say is a, the difference is that we as a standard maker, the way we approach uh, a sustainability issue is to let company disclose what they are doing, right? We are not necessarily ourselves policy biased towards one way or the other. So it is up to investors aware of where public policy, including the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals, to determine where they want to invest. So from this point of view, our approach as a neutral standard maker is slightly different than TNFD uh, in terms of addressing. So what I would say is that we do have a public consultation on uh, 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 what we should work on next. And uh, biodiversity nature is one of the four topics we have put out for public consultation. And I think food as part of the, the, the natural ecosystem is an integral part of it, right? So we'd like to be informed uh, by market that what elements of food system would be important for investors, uh, both from a public policy point of view, because public policy drives uh, a company's decision-making in terms of, um, of food or agriculture, so on and so forth. So that's the angle that we come in. I, I don't know whether I have explained myself a little bit. Uh, so my previous position, I know where the policy should be, but as a neutral standard maker, our job is to reflect market demand, uh, investor prepared demand, uh, for better disclosure and food is an integral part of it, but we need to be informed on what exactly what that will be in our future standard. Sure, you were very clear and I'm sure the audience fully understood. David, how the TNFD will achieve sustainable, will help achieve sustainable food systems? Well, I think what we're gonna do is bring transparency to the nature dependencies and impacts around agriculture. And in fact, we've got many agricultural firms in our task force. Uh, we've published agriculture and food system guidance. Um, and of course, when you go back to the GBF that I mentioned earlier, the Global Biodiversity Framework, that says the number one cause of nature loss and um, biodiversity loss is land use change. You know, we're losing the equivalent of a football pitch of of forest. I've heard different stats on this, you know, 11 a minute, one every 11 minutes, choose your number. It's vast, it's quick. A lot of it is caused by the food system, um, either because we're cutting down forests to create feed or we're cutting down the areas to, to, to graze and, and farm the animals. So this transparency of what's happening is going to reach the investors. And they're going to say, well, how do I invest in a food system that doesn't involve land use, doesn't involve overuse of fertilizers, doesn't involve uh, over dependency on water, and they'll start looking for alternatives. 
Um, um, I think it would mean that, again, as Jindong said, we're not policymakers, but when you look at the numbers and you look at the stats, um, cattle, beef is an obvious area that is very land intensive, very water intensive, very feed intensive. So I think investors will start looking at, well, what are alternatives? Um, what are other areas that that can be produced? How do we create different food systems? How do we use regenerative farming? Big debates around many parts of the world, in Australia, in India, in the UK, in, 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 in Germany, and in the US about regenerative farming, not just as a better way of producing food for the environment, but actually also as a way of storing carbon. So you get a better way of farming that is absorbing CO2, that creates then credits for farmers and a, and a sustainable uh, financing stock, and is potentially a, a kind of win-win-win for nature, farmers, and food. So. Um, again, like Jing Dong said, we're not policymakers. What we do is bring transparency so that investors can understand where are the biggest dependencies I have, where are the biggest impacts I have in my investment portfolio, and how can I how can I instigate change through redirecting financial flows to those areas that are more nature positive and more sustainable in the long term. And I think the food system is not the only, but it's the largest probably agricultural industry area that we need to focus on mm. to stop the destruction of biodiversity. Very, very interesting indeed. Uh, I like what you said, uh, disclosing to find alternatives. That's that's a very interesting perspective as well. Um, well, I would like now to wrap up uh, and maybe see whether you have any any final call or comments or remarks uh, for our audience. David, would you like to start? Well, my final comment is I uh, hopefully you've heard from the two of us today how we're moving in this direction. Uh, and I'd re-emphasize Jing Dong's point that, that we have to get going. Uh, we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. We have enormous amounts to learn. We shouldn't pretend we know everything. But the best way to learn is try um, and actually, by our launch of the TNFD in September and by the pilots that are happening, we, set, we hope to see the market starting to adopt, starting to use, so that by the time that we then reach the next phase of the ISSB's standards, which we're all very excited about, we can incorporate what the market has developed and tested from the world of nature and have an integrated nature and climate approach. Thank you, David. Jin Dong, your final remarks. Yeah, I agree with uh, with uh, David with the message that let's get going first and uh, let's start learning this new global single language of sustainability disclosure. We will be working with government regulators, stakeholders to support the early voluntary and mandatory implementation of S1S2 on one hand, and of course by providing capacity building, um, and on the other, uh, 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 with, uh, with, uh, with an eye on the future, uh, requesting you know, active contribution to the public consultation to shape our future standard making. Uh, so, so looking forward to exciting times uh, uh, ahead. Indeed, indeed. Well, I, I really appreciate the discussion. So for sure, we are on a journey, but we are seeing a lot of, I, I, I'm seeing a lot of progress and uh, both the work that your organization are doing are helping interoperability, convergence, simplicity, practicality. As you said, I really like uh, the metaphor. We are aiming at a single language that is fundamental for then having investors achieve sustainable development goals and the Paris Agreement goals. 
Thank you both David and Jin Dong for joining us and for sharing your valuable expertise. Thank you to the audience who have joined us in this discussion. And of course, a big thank you to GLF for hosting us. Thank you again, and I wish you all a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.